Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here... Please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Douglas McCombs and Charles Rumbach are each gifted musicians who call Chicago, Illinois, home. A renowned bassist and electric guitarist, McCombs is a core or performing member in bands like Tortoise, Eleventh Dream Day, Brokeback, The Sea and Cake, and he has recently begun performing on his own. Primarily a drummer, Rumbach is also a respected solo artist who has collaborated with the likes of Bill McKay, Riley Walker, Azita, and Jim Baker, among many others. Along with the aforementioned guitarist Bill McKay, McCombs and Rumbach have formed the explosive and exploratory three-piece band Black Duck, whose self-titled debut album was released by Thrill Jockey Records on June 23, 2023. As such, Douglas and Charles joined me for a fun conversation about things like uh, jazz and punk and freedom. The kinship between Slint and Tortoise, 
the Chicago music community and its openness, why some of the most influential drummers in the world are hip-hop producers like Jay Dilla, improvisation and composition in music, working with the producer John Hughes III, neighborhood backyards during a pandemic, a gig with Cheap Trick, upcoming Black Duck shows, a tortoise album update, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. That is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this show. So thank you if you already are donating to this show or are contemplating it. Like, more than usual, you're, like, you're listening to me and you're really seriously thinking about donating to the show and to me at patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again for doing that. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in the wonderful town of Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in the also wonderful town or city of Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 786 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Douglas McCombs and Charles Rumback of Black Duck, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Douglas, how's it going? Hi, Vish, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. It's nice to speak with you again. Uh, it feels like it hasn't been that long. How do you feel about what I just said? <laughs> uh, I feel like it was not that long ago, but it was probably in, you know, it might have been in like September or October or something, right? Yes, and you alluded to this project that we're going to talk about, and I didn't know that much about it at the time, and I'm excited that it's here. It's great, uh, and I, I can't wait to start talking about it. But first of all, as as you may know, uh, I like to ask where people are in the world. Where in the world are you today, Doug? Uh, I'm in Chicago in my house, sitting in the exact spot that I was last time we spoke. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been here. I have been sitting here for six long, long months. Just waiting for me to call back. Yes. You're just like, maybe that was fun. Maybe he'll call back. I'll just sit here. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's good. Have you have hit the road and things since we last spoke? I think, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I was touring. I was touring most of the spring. I did some stuff with Chris Forsyth and Meg Baird and Tortoise. Yeah. And, and how was all that? It was all really good. Nice. Hey, did you know that Meg Baird was on the show? Oh, uh, I did notice that. Yes. Yeah, subsequent to you mentioning Meg, who I'd, I'd known of, I thought, you know what? If it's good enough for Douglas McCombs, it should be good enough for me and my show. Let's see if we can work that out. And Meg and I, I think, had a nice chat. So thanks for the, uh, thanks for mentioning that, I suppose. And thanks for yeah. collaborating with Meg. She seems uh, lovely. She's the best. Yeah, nice. Well, it's good to have you back on the show uh, again. Uh, we're joined by someone who's never been on the show and someone I've not met before. Uh, uh, Charlie, are you there? Yes, it's great to meet you. Great to meet you, too. Where in the world are you? I'm in Chicago as well. I'm on the south side, down at South Shore. Nice. For people listening around the world, uh, why that distinction? Where are, you, are you distinguishing between where you are and where, where, where Douglas might be? Well, yeah, I guess so. I guess we are 
south side and north side, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. How long how long have you lived there? I've been here for a few years now, three or four years, three years. I see. Nice. Yeah. And and are you are you from Chicago? I'm from Kansas originally, but I've been living in Chicago since 2001, so I oh, feel nice. like I'm a Chicagoan. Oh, absolutely. 2001, you've put your time in. That's true. Yeah. The south yeah. south side of Chicago is a fabled place, you know, in the context of music and culture. Uh, is it as magical as we have been led to believe? Or I don't know. You know what I'm getting at there? Yeah, the yeah, perception? it is. Yeah. And there's still like a lot of that there. I think the venues and things, you know, like like the rest of the city, the north side is no different in the sense that the venues change. and. Yeah the styles that were once dominant, you know, blues and things like that, that people associate with the South side is still around big time. Yeah. yeah. But there's other stuff too now, you know, so. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And you're, I, I, I again, Charlie, I don't know you as well. Um, your entry point into uh, sort of, you, you mentioned the blues. If you were like to associate yourself with a particular uh, genre expression, if you will, I know that can be reductive, but, What's your background exactly? What kind of musical forms did you first explore? Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that I got into at a young age was jazz. And I, yeah. you know, studied jazz and kind of learned how to play and approach music through that direction. Yeah. I don't really think of it like genres necessarily now. When I, you know, when we play, make music, we just play whatever feels right. But, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I guess I guess people would associate me probably with the jazz world. Yeah, when I think of jazz, it's like a, a way of being, not like a way of playing. Does that make any sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I almost yeah. think of it sometimes like this, like certain musical, it's almost like a musical morality. <laughs> like there's certain things that has to be coming from the right place. or You know what I mean? Like certain things like that. that it is spiritual in that way. Yeah, that's how I think of it. I think of this. I think of punk the same way. If that makes sense, I know people have yeah, yeah, their yeah. perceptions, but to me, it's a lot of freedom. It's a lot of yeah. It's it could, funny because be. I don't relate to the punk world so much, but I do like punk. You know, the punk rock ethics is something that I always think about. It's cool. I think the last time Douglas was on, we we got into this a little bit. Um, his his exploration of freedom as a as a young person and. Uh, Douglas, do you remember what we were talking about? Just sort of discovering kind of underground music and realizing it could be kind of anything. It didn't have to be any one thing. Does that resonate with you as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was like my entry in quotes, punk rock was my entry into like discovering adventurous music. And um, to me, it was very much like a type of expression of freedom i guess more than like a genre or a style of playing um so i discovered a lot of things around that time in the late 70s that a lot of people i don't know you know maybe wouldn't consider punk but it it was all part of the same movement it was all part of a similar movement of things changing at the time yeah and as i recall and i don't mean to rehash our recent conversation completely but as i recall your entry point into chicago uh, also opened you up to the notion that um, music and freedom were intertwined, and it could be kind of anything. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And th- I mean, uh, I I wanted to move to Chicago out of high school so that I could be around that stuff, and I discovered lots of lots of stuff moving here. That Chicago was 
opened my eyes to many, many things. Yeah. So in a similar way there, Charles, like you moved to Chicago from Kansas. Chicago, you know, I mentioned the South Side having uh, a bit of a legendary uh, status there. Chicago as a whole has, I would say, the same kind of magical history and and quality to it. Do you, what exactly drew you to Chicago? Was it the music? Was it was it something else? Oh, it was definitely the music. And I live on the South Side now, but it wasn't even necessarily the South Side music that drew me here. I mean, just the whole city and specifically like a lot of the scene that, you know, like Doug was involved in. I mean, I remember, honestly, I got, even before I met Doug, when I was like 18, I saw Tortoise play in Lawrence, Kansas. Hmm. Let's see, was I 18? No, I was like 20 because my brother was 18. It was his 18th birthday and I took him to see Tortoise and I got sick. And I, and oh. the guys saw me get sick and they wouldn't let me in. They thought I was drunk and I wasn't drunk. I just got sick. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, first of all, first of all, that is a weird, that's a weird history. First of all, happy birthday to your brother. I know it's belated, but I just want to send that vibe out now. Secondly, what was it? Food poisoning? Why were you all of a sudden getting sick? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. But my point, I guess, is even way back then, I was like, fascinated by the chicago scene and the chicago like tortoise and bands like that but also like the jazz stuff that was happening here um yeah there was a lot of music that made me want to come up this way well for me but bands like tortoise really exemplify that uh multi i don't want to say multidisciplinary like we're having a colloquium discussion right now but a tortoise <laughs> for me really exemplified this notion of like wait a minute this could be this is jazz and this is punk or post-punk and all those things. Was Tortoise kind of a, a bit of a lodestar for you, Charles, in terms of like, wait a minute, I can do anything and it can be good? I guess so. I mean, <laughs> coming from the the place that I was coming from, like, I guess I already kind of shared that spirit in that way. Yeah. But like, definitely it was like, I hadn't seen that way of combining things. And it was if definitely like, kind of like, okay. Yeah, I guess it did. I guess it was kind of anything as possible kind of experience. My my interaction with that band, if I may, let's just pretend uh, Doug Douglas McCombs isn't on the call. We'll just we'll just fa- <laughs> we'll fawn about Tortoise just a little bit. But my my experience with that Hello? band, oh, oh, can oh, you oh. hear me? Oh no, oh oh, this is going to be more awkward now. I'm sorry, uh, D- Doug Doug Doug. We love your band, is what I was going to get at there. I'm sorry. I hope that's okay. My my other. That's- it's fine. I love it too. <laughs> my point was my first uh, exposure to the music of Tortoise was on record uh, before I saw them live. That's not that unusual, but it was at a time when I was uh, playing uh, kind of post hardcore music, and it just alt as a drummer, it altered me. It just it, it made me bring things to the practice space where my bandmates are like, "What's going on over there?" Exactly. What's happening? But also, this is awesome. Let's try to work on stuff like this a little bit. You know, I'm in my early 20s, so you're in the mode of emulation, hopefully not just, you know, completely copying other people's ideas. But come on, sometimes you do a little bit. And so I just want to say, for the record, that was my experience with that band. Hearing it, being like, oh, shit, you can do a whole bunch of different things that I hadn't really thought of doing before. That's all I was kind of getting at, Charles. Does that make sense? I don't mean to make things awkward with you being like, yeah, Tortoise were fine. Yeah, yeah. They, they were a good band. I don't know. What do you want me to say, buddy? No, 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 no. <laughs> I No, no. I was, but it was like, you know, coming from Kansas, it was funny because I was already like playing with 
it's like you kind of play with whoever's around and so it ends up being a weird hybrid anyway yeah. like because there's not a scene of just like great jazz people and great whatever people it's like you kind of just do this weird hybrid yeah but yeah seeing it like put together like that was something special yeah for I, sure. I appreciate you backing me up on that because otherwise it might have been very awkward me just fawning by myself so thank you for and then, for helping and then also but then also like i don't know when i came to chicago you know doug's experience with it is is different but like i came and it was a lot of overlap i mean it's a lot of the same people fred lumberg home i really loved and still love playing with and yeah. fred anderson at the velvet like it was an amazing time there well and yeah i mean our ensemble of chicago like there's just a legacy of stuff that i know in like now i know where tortoise may and and other musicians in that city might have drawn their own influences from does that does that make sense doug like all the stuff that was going on in terms of the history of yeah yeah. absolutely i mean i think the 80s was like a a springboard where a lot of stuff was bubbling under and then like a lot of it seemed to me that a lot of people were um diversifying their interests and finding new things and then suddenly at least from my experience everything kind of exploded in the 90s and and people were doing a lot of and people were open to doing a lot of different things and were doing a lot of different things and, yeah and mostly just to satisfy their own curiosity there was no like career agenda involved with most of this stuff there was a whole other set of music that was doing that yeah yeah fair enough uh just to follow up on i think maybe mostly what i was saying but also what what, what charles and i were talking about and doug I, I don't know if this puts you in a strange position it's going to be a bit of a memory jog but if you think back on that time you're talking about the 90s and as tortoise would play around and put out records were you starting to see that the band did have what was inspiring other people to maybe try similar things? Like as you went from town to town, maybe an opening opening mm. band, you'd be like, oh, okay, we actually, hmm, people seem to be, it seems to be resonating with uh, with players enough that they're going for it in sort of the same spirit, at least, if not, you know, sound. Did, did you notice that? I mean, to me, it seemed more like there were like-minded people yeah around doing doing some stuff similar stuff yeah. or you know i mean we wouldn't would not encounter that many bands that sounded like tortoise but we would definitely encounter bands that you could tell were trying to do something slightly different yeah. um or like you know combining a lot of different ideas and having like good results um yeah. I think, you know, occasionally a more common thing would be to see like a band that was seemed like they might have been trying to sound a little bit too much like Slint or something yes. like that. <laughs> that, was, that. That was more common. Do, do you, uh, again, I didn't, uh, I want to uh, talk about uh, Black Duck shortly, but since we're on the tortoise tip, um, do you have some kinship with the sound i mean obviously there's some crossover with membership but between slint and tortoise like do you see a connection there in terms of the what you guys were both doing at the time um yeah for sure yeah i do okay yeah you know first of all we all knew each other going back into the 80s or most of us knew each other at least i knew 
a couple of the members of Slint and McIntyre for sure did and Bundy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there was like a, a certain commonality there. I mean, it was definitely more like a tandem sort of thing. Like, yeah. Not like a, um, oh, you know, one of us inspiring the other or the other, you know. Although, you know, Slint was definitely an, a sort of an, a touchstone of that time. Like I, that was a band that I was interested in because they were doing something that was so unusual, mm-hmm. you know, at least for the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Another huge influence on me in terms of drumming was, uh, and I've, I've talked about this before and you know, the first time I actually heard slint was on the uh, kids soundtrack. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Uh-huh. That's they had a, so this is a, Charles, you familiar with that soundtrack? Do you know the kids' movie? Uh, I remember the movie. I don't remember the soundtrack. So it was, it was uh, commandeered by Lou Barlow and Jonathan, or yeah, Jonathan Davis, yeah, from the Folk Implosion, and they uh, they uh, did a soundtrack and uh, it had a bunch of Daniel Johnson songs on it and a bunch of their own songs on it. And in fact, one of their big singles there. Uh, uh, but. Uh, at the end of the record, I believe they put on uh, "Good Morning Captain," and it's the first time I heard it. And the drumming again, I immediately went and got the whole record because I—that's what I did at the time. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying, guys, that was an important time for me. This is all about all about me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't mean to do this, but I'm just saying it was very important. <laughs> so I appreciate the the insights there uh, from both of you. Charles, I want to go back to you here because uh, from what the way you told the story, you encounter Tortoise in Lawrence, Kansas. Then you vomit on them. <laughs> when do you start to become friendly with Doug? Uh, and you know, let's let's get to where this friendship started. Can you go back and tell me how that happened again? Obviously, oh, yeah. he had to clean I the think... vomit off of himself. And then what happened? <laughs> then I waited yeah, ten so years. Then... <laughs> yeah, then ten years later, I dared show my face again <laughs> to be in a Zeta's band. Oh we right, tour. oh we did, okay. We did a tour with the Zeta. Nice. Probably like when Doug twenty twelve. Uh, I think it was earlier than that. Earlier than I, I that. Think, I think it was a lot earlier than that, but I could be mistaken. I'm not sure um, either. It was a long time ago. It was at least ten years, if not twelve or thirteen years ago. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That that's my recollection. Azita and I have mm-hmm. also become a little bit friendly. Azita's been on the show. And uh, so I'm a big fan. That's great. That's so. That's how you you collaborated in that c- capacity. Is that what you're saying, Charles? I think that's the first time we ever played together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then subsequent to that, did you play more together, Doug, or did it take some time? Well, I think after that, after well, first of all, I knew I knew Charles before the Azita band, but the but. Playing with Azita mm-hmm. was the first time. The first time I played with him, mm-hmm. right? And after that tour, I think we, or at least I did, we mentioned to each other we should play some more sometime. That was it, and then mm-hmm. that kind of dangled for a while. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you say a while, can you put a sort of a time frame on that? Um. Well, I'm trying to. Re- I don't remember exactly when Charles and I began this endeavor but hmm. the beginnings of this were Charles and I playing together 
a couple times trying to like I had specifically wanted to do something that was kind of improvised and asked Charles if he wanted to like start to work on it and we got together I don't but I don't know when that was was that 2015 or something that sounds about right something like that yeah and we only played a few times probably before we played with Bill yeah Oh, did you actually, Charles, did you guys play shows as a duo? I don't think we no. did any shows, did we, Doug? No. no we, we did just, a show later okay. as we a just, duo, but no. We played a few times in the rehearsal space, and then we were just brainstorming about like what direction we could take it, and Charles had mentioned uh, trying to play with Bill. So oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. what we did. I want to get to the Bill dynamic in a, in a moment. Um, Charles, uh, Doug's been on the show a couple of times, and last time we did a pretty deep dive into kind of um, his musical origin story, if you will, you know, how he came to start playing music. Uh, I'd like to offer you the same opportunity to talk about this because Doug obviously knows you well. When, when someone says, I think we should get together and play, and and then maybe it's unspoken, but you begin by improvising. Doug knows something about your background that I, in this context, currently do not exactly know. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into playing as a musician, as a fan, and and maybe your trajectory, uh, and maybe even how you oscillate between um, composition and improvisation? I know that's a lot of stuff to talk about, but can can you take us into the world of of Charles and let us know how you got here? Yeah, sure. I got interested, like, playing, you know, probably, I don't know, pretty young. I got more serious about it probably, like, 7th or 8th grade. I started playing the drums a lot, and then I actually started playing with these guys in my hometown that were a little bit, you know, I was probably, what, 14 at the time, and they were, you know, in their 20s, and the leader of the band was in his 40s. And we had a Sunday night gig every Sunday night at this bar from 10 to 2. For years for like four years and i feel really lucky looking back on that because i kind of like learned how to you know play seriously hmm. but whatever so then i moved away from my hometown we moved uh i moved to chicago in 2001 to go to school to study jazz composition at uh the university here but i was interested in playing with people and and i think when i first started to actually cross worlds with kind of Doug's community of people. It was because I happened to be going to school with a guy who was also going to school at the conservatory uh, named Jeremy Jacobson, the lonesome organist. And he was on Thrill Jockey. Oh, oh yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he asked me to... I saw, I, I saw the I saw the lonesome organist open for pavement once. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so he was... Quite quite remarkable. So yeah. we, went to, we were in college together at the same time, and... He asked me to play with him, like he did a show for the um, Thrill Jockey 15 year anniversary, and so then I met I met some different people that I think you know. Then I started working with people like Matt Lux. I met there, and I met everybody in Califone. I met all the you know like a whole bunch of people that were around at that time. It's mm-hmm. probably when I met you, Doug. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but um. You know, then it's just we start collaborating and we kind of get familiar with each other's work. And mine kind of tended to cross over into the jazz world. And I was doing with this band called Colorless. It was me and the saxophonist Charles Gorzinski. We used to play at the Velvet Lounge a lot. And 
you know, just, I don't know. There's a, there was so many things that we were all doing at the time. It was just like constantly crossing over and seeing, seeing each other play. So, yeah. So you mentioned you started playing drums around grade seven or eight, I think is what you said. Um, do you know what inspired you at that time? Are you listening to things, uh, in particular that prompted you to think, I want to try that? When I was young, when I first started playing the drums, I was just wanted to kind of learn how to play beats that I heard, like on the songs that I was hearing at the time, like, you know, 90s R&B or hip hop beats that I thought were cool and interesting. And so then when I was playing in like the drum line and things like that at school, we would copy those kinds of beats. That was a good introduction from, you know, for me to just kind of learn by ear. But, you know, but I mean, it, you know, once you start playing, you get interested in a thousand different things. So, do you think, as a drummer, sometimes every once in a while, if uh, it comes up that I have played drums, people say, "Well, who are your influences?" And you know, I will cite the 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 various drumming dudes and Tortoise or other bands that mean a lot to me. But every once in a while, if I think of it, I go, and yeah, like one of my biggest influences as a drummer is um, DJ Shadows introducing. And mm-hmm. people say, what? What do you mean? I'm like, that stuff, Tribe Called Quest or whatever, there's just certain bands where the drumming or the beats have totally inspired my drumming as a, you know, which I think some people, it's probably, it's been years since I think it raised an eyebrow. I think it's probably understood that that would make sense now, but... You alluded to this too, I think, that some sort of hip-hop influences in your playing. Do you think that's a bit underrated, the notion that uh, hip-hop music might inspire people to play drums a certain way? I mean, that doesn't seem like a... That seems like an idea that most people, I think, would be on board with. (laughs) I know the year is 2023, and I may be talking about 1997. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I also don't really, I just think of it as like it's language. It's like whatever's around us is what really is going to influence us. And we can pretend like we're going to wear our jazz hat and that's all that ever influenced us, but that's not reality. You know, like it's language. So if you're listening to those types of beats all the time, even if you don't want to, it's, it's, it's part of what you know in this world. And I think all of it comes out in your music, if you're being honest. Well, I just mean like one of my favorite drummers in a way is like RZA. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. Like that's that those are beats that have influenced the way I what I bring to the table sometimes. That's all I'm getting at. You know what I mean? And I think like the role of hip hop producers in in beat making and drumming. I don't know. I'm I'm babbling and I'm riffing here. I didn't plan to talk about this. Hey, Doug, do you know what I'm kind of talking about, too? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. And uh, it makes total sense. Yeah. You know, well, first of all, the source the source of some of that drumming, you know, those are like some some very groundbreaking sort of heavy influential drummers. But the way that the producers use the samples sets a different tone, and that is a, a, a different inspiration on its own. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think uh, in in Tortoise, like which is like my window into hip hop is mostly the dudes in tortoise. Yeah. What's his face is like the greatest beat maker of all time. Um, Dilla. Yeah. Dilla. Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla. Absolutely. Jay Jay Dilla is like flipped everything. If you ask Parker, 
for well, sure. Well, I would agree. Jay, Jay, yeah. Jay Dilla is like the the greatest of all time. In a weird way, Jay Dilla is one of the greatest drummers <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Like that's just the way. I guess I'm that's what it. I was trying. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 yeah I think so Madlib is one of the greatest Charles? drummers. Madlib's one of my favorite drummers for sure. Yeah. But I, I guess sure. what I'm saying is, yes, we are. There's no orthodoxy with this kind of stuff anymore. People listen more open ended. But I, I just haven't heard too many people talk about such producers and beat makers in the same breath that they might a great drummer. And I'm mm-hmm. saying for me, it's been this way for 20 odd years where I'm like, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Like, I, I don't have anything more profound to say about it. I feel like you kind of were saying something similar. Is that fair, Charles? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. I think it's all so, at this point, it's like, it all goes back and forth. You hear producers that really influence the way drummers play, and even the way they think of form, and things like that, and vice versa. And it's already, it already was vice versa, but now it's going back that way, and coming back this way. Yeah, I think it's cool when it's, in fact, some of my favorite stuff kind of blurs the line, you can't tell sometimes, you know? Well, and and I think that's, quite true of Black Duck. I was listening to it with my family, the, this wonderful record of yours, and one of the dronier pieces came on, and my son is like, what the, what's going on? Are we in a cave? Are we in a forest? I'm afraid. I'm like, just eat your dinner. Everything's fine. Calm down. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's having this kind of profound effect on people in my, in my house. I want to go back to what you were saying uh, a little bit too, Charles, about your schooling. I understand you, you're referring to university, I think, or a conservatory. Roosevelt University, is that what you were referring to there? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. And is that where you met Bill McKay? Yeah, that's where I met Bill, too. Yeah. Profound. Let's just let's just be real, guys. School is cool, right? That's one of the messages we want to send to the young people. School is cool. Does anyone want to back me up on this? I feel like school is cool. That's where I met a lot of my good friends. School is mostly cool. It can be. Yeah. That's where I first heard tortoise because of school. I feel like someone oh. had it. I was like, what is that? Nice. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, how did you come to meet uh, uh, Bill there, Charles? Exactly. What was the context at school? Bill was working at the university and um, we had a, it's still one of my good friends, a really close friend of mine who was good friends with Bill. So we had a mutual friend and uh, he introduced us and we started playing together. Bill's one of the first people I played with in Chicago. We have a record that oh, wow. we made of Bill's in, back in 2003. Oh, there you go. Crazy. Okay, 20 so- years ago. So you you are uh, so that's like what are you in your early twenties when you meet Bill basically something yeah, like that mm-hmm. yeah okay so that's an impressionable age and you're still friends to this day that's nice and sweet to hear uh, Doug how did you co- how did you come to I was I know that sounded sarcastic it's just my tone I'm sorry I was being sincere it is nice <laughs> no it is uh, it is it's it's rare to have people <laughs> in your life like that yeah I'm thankful well and, uh, and uh, you may not know this Charles but Bill has also been on this show. Uh, several mm-hmm. times and we've become friendly as well uh and i'm sad he I, is, what is he on the road as we're speaking or something is that right he's pretty busy i'm not sure uh, he's I, think got he's, I think he's got a real heavy work schedule this week yeah that's what i thought I, i'm sad he's not here because it's a tradition to have bill on the show every time he puts out a thing now it seems and i miss him yeah. but it's fine uh, uh uh doug how did you come to meet uh, bill exactly uh well bill was around for a long time before i ever heard him play and we sort of became friendly acquaintances mostly by running into each other at shows or like 
at this bar that some of us hang out at sometimes. We had a lot of mutual friends, and it seemed like he was playing guitar with a lot of people that I knew, but somehow it was eluding me, like, seeing him play anything or, you know, and I was not really was not really aware of what he was doing. You know, like a, a lot of people, well, at least in my experience, a lot of people that I know that are musicians, I like see their band play and then eventually they become someone that's like around and that I know. And yeah. for Bill, I I just didn't see him play for a long time. And I was, he was kind of flitting around playing with lots of different people. And I had no impression at all of what his guitar playing was like or anything but we would just talk occasionally at this bar yeah and that was it doug i feel like maybe we talked about this before chicago is both a giant uh, american city but it's also in the arts world kind of a small town is that a fair way of looking at it i feel like it's kind of like that yeah there's definitely um a neighborhood small town feeling to like the music scene for sure yeah a lot of like-minded people sort of that are aware of each other yeah let's put it that way yeah so it's the kind of thing you're describing is you might see a guy like bill around a bunch but it might take a little bit to finally strike up a conversation kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay I, I i dig on that so now you two are playing uh you and charles doug and charles sorry uh how does uh, charles how does bill uh, join the fold uh in terms of what you two are up to well, Doug and I hadn't really played any, like, written, quote-unquote, written material, you know. Mm-hmm. When we were playing together, we were kind of improvising and just kind of exploring different ideas, maybe. if we, we But that's about as specific as it got, is maybe, like, just exploring a vibe or something. But it was really open-ended. And so when we decided to bring Bill in, we talked about it, and, of course, he just fit right in, you know. It was... It was only then, I think, that really, like, we decided to kind of, well, even then, we were still playing mostly improvised ideas, I guess. It wasn't until later when we were going to record that we really kind of put some solid songs together. Hmm. But we did, we even did some, quite a few shows improvised. I mean, we did, we did like three, probably three years worth of shows without a single composition. Hmm. Yeah, was it that long? Because years? yeah, because I that's what we that's what we were approaching the group as like this improvised thing, mm-hmm. and we were basically trying to develop that mostly by not practicing ever, just kind of like <laughs> getting gigs and doing them. And um, it was only when we finally decided, hey, let's record this group. What if each one of us also like wrote a song? Right. So right. So it's a mix. Of the, that was yeah. yeah yeah that was the that was the that was the end result. Like let's improvise, but let's have like some compositions hmm. just to keep things. I guess to for di- diversity for the di- diversity on the record, just to mm-hmm. have some different yeah things. Doug, what was the impulse to begin this initially do this project as as an improvisational uh, outlet as opposed to a compositional one? Do you can you speak to that? I mean, specifically for me, it's because I'm not a very good improviser and I wanted to get better at it. Mm. And I have a very slow working brain. Seems like improvisers have very 
sharp and fast synapses. And um, I was trying to find a way to squeak my slow brain into um, that context. I see. And maybe grease the wheels a little bit. I see. Charles, uh, Doug says he, he, he didn't feel like he was a strong improviser at the beginning. Um, do you feel like he's gotten any better? Can we just do a quick evaluation of uh, Doug's status <laughs> as an improviser? Well, I I always, of course, felt like Doug was great at what he did and what he brought to the table, or else I wouldn't have been doing it, too. You know what I mean? he <laughs> He's great at what he does. He always was. But I think it's true that what we do has found a more specific direction as a group it's hard to put into words but like when you play even an improvised context a lot with people you develop a certain unique kind of way of doing things and so i think this band kind of we found some cool different avenues that we can kind of consistently head down yeah yeah so charles you're each uh i guess sort of tasked with bringing at least one composition to the party uh, do you compose on the drums? Did you bring in, uh, do you play other instruments? That's kind of where I guess I'm, I'm coming from. Um, can mm-hmm. you speak to that? Yeah, like for a lot of things that I do, like it ends up being kind of a more jazz approach where I'll write chord changes and lead sheet, just kind of standard jazz style. But mm-hmm. for this, um, I don't know. We don't, that's not how any of us brought it. I wanted to kind of do something different. So I, I wrote it on guitar, actually, a little guitar part that I played. And I think on the demo that we kind of tracked over, I, I played guitar, but I think most of it got replaced. But, but yeah, I actually uh, wrote this idea on guitar, but it really was kind of just an idea that I had that was like some chords and a groove. And Doug came uh, up with most of the melody on it, really. And, w- and what piece is that? That's, um, the trees are dancing. Oh, okay. Cool. So, sorry, when did you start playing guitar? Mm, I mean, I don't really play guitar seriously, but, like, I mean, I've kind of messed around on it forever. I just, but I would, I don't, like, perform on guitar, but, you know, sometimes yeah. I put an idea, think, play something on a guitar that you wouldn't think of otherwise, you know. I don't know That's I'm what the kidding. drummers do when the drummers pick up the well, guitars. They make it all up. It's weird. <laughs> I, I mean, I can... I would add in this particular context, the thing that Charles brought to the group is composed in the way that you were talking about earlier with like hip hop producers Hmm. where his sort of guitar and drum demo that was this kind of looped thing Mm -hmm. had like a really particular pocket to it. And we actually kept that and used it on the track because it had this feel that the three of us playing without the loop didn't really have the same feel. So, I mean, when Charles mentioned, you know, that maybe I wrote a couple, like the melody for the tune, I think the real composition part of the tune and the way that song feels is like in his initial demo thing Uh that relates directly to the, to like the hip hop producer thing to me. That's, that's fascinating to me, Charles. I don't know if you've had this discussion. If this is news to you, Doug's take on it. What do you What do you make of that? No, that's cool. I hadn't thought of it exactly like that, but it's true. And really, in that sense, 
it was a collaboration with the producer. It was a collaboration with John Hughes who recorded it and, and mixed yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, um, he kind of took this demo that I had and, and we chopped. I don't remember if it was with Doug and Bill or if it was just me and John, but we kind of chop and p- cut and pasted a form, you know, together out of it. And mm-hmm. some of it, you know, it didn't sound smooth, but we didn't need it to. It was just kind of a sketch pad to build on. But it did end up having a vibe doing it that way as opposed to just playing through it perfectly or whatever, you know. Yeah. I just want to say that this 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 interaction reminds me of why I so love interviewing bands. I like the notion that I can ask a question and a band member will say something that the other band member had never heard before. And because <laughs> I know from my own experience, you don't often talk yourselves. You just do stuff. You don't really talk about it too much. So I just want to say thank you. This is just another reminder of every once in a while. I'm like, why the hell do I do this stuff? And this is why. <laughs> I like these little moments. That's all. Sorry, guys. I, I just want to say thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you for sharing. These two are so, you're so welcome. I mean that so sincerely. Really? From the bottom of my heart, you're so welcome. Oh, <laughs> well, th- thank you for saying that. I appreciate that, too. That's nice. It's nice of you to yeah. say. So we've alluded to the uh, instrumentation in this band. Uh, Doug, can you speak to why the two guitar drums uh, formation uh, in this case? Uh, not a bass, I guess, is one of the maybe the subtext of what I'm asking. But why two guitar and uh, why two guitars and drums in this formation? I mean, for me specifically, it was because I I wanted to play guitar because that's an instrument that has more uh, possibilities for me in an improvising context. Yeah, and it was also because it was during a period of time where I was focusing on guitar and trying to get better on guitar and that's just how it ended up and it also makes us think of things in a different way than you know like so initially I was playing with Charles and we were trying to squeak out some ideas and when we decided to ask Bill to come in it seemed to set a certain tone for what we're doing Mm -hmm. like not having a bass player and for me and Bill to sort of alternate between maybe trying to fulfill that role a little bit on our guitars or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charles, I mean, the, the t- traditionally a rhythm section is bass and drums without the bass. You are the rhythm section ostensibly with some rhythm guitar as well, I suppose. But, um, is it odd for you to play without a, a bass player in any way? Mm, you know, Sometimes when you're playing without a bass player, you feel like you're, sometimes you can feel like you're having to pull a train or something, you know, but. Yeah, yeah. But, but playing with both, both Doug and Bill, like, even though, like, Doug, I guess being maybe, maybe because he's a bass player also, like, his playing just never loses momentum. It's always got a, a groove to it and it's always moving. And Bill, same thing. Bill really stays light and moves. And so, so I never really missed the bass. The only place that I would sometimes then notice that it wasn't there would be like when we're recording, I'd be like, oh, wow, the bass drum's the only thing down there in that frequency range. So, you know, maybe I'll play a floor tom here or something. But, but like, really, that's it. And it would, and, and it's like always, I think we all maybe approach it the way kind of just whatever the music needs. Yeah. And so it's like the music seems complete. So we don't feel the need. I think. Probably there was a track or two on the record. I know. I think my song Doug played a little bass, and oh, okay. m- maybe there might have been another. But yeah, but like live, it's 
it feels it feels complete yeah no i mean it sounds amazing like i say it is it uh it is a moody piece that kind of takes me away as i as i delve into it so it's not lacking or anything i'm just curious yeah um no it is non-traditional it is non-traditional in that way i guess yeah yeah mm-hmm. you invoked um i think you invoked john hughes the third uh earlier uh, mm-hmm. uh, mo- uh just moments ago mm-hmm. uh Doug, can you, Doug, I'm going to go to you on this first, Doug. Uh, what, what is the role of a, a producer on a record like this one for a band like this one, where there's a bit of improvisation uh, and composition? I think those of us who follow music know that producers can play huge, uh, integral roles, or they can hang back and and just sort of capture the magic, so to speak. But what kind of role did John Hughes III play in this particular project? I mean, I think... He has really great ears. You know, he's a musician himself, and uh, as well as a recording engineer. And I just think he has a um, good ears for listening uh, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we decided to make this record, we were kind of like thinking about budget and the future, and like what we could afford to spend on this record. And we really were thinking. Maybe we can just do this, since we're an improvising group, we'll just do this like guerrilla style and just spit it out in three days and have it done. Like two days playing and one day deciding what the record's going to be and mixing it. Mm -hmm. And just do it like super garage guerrilla style. And what ended up happening was that John didn't want to do that. And he he sort of considerately listened to the record for a period of time at his own expense and kind of like was crucial in defining like what some of the best moments on the record were yeah. and um, and then sort of teasing them out of whatever and giving them a sonic touch that was kind of his own thing too hmm. which we appreciated immensely because it was so much better than our idea of just like banging it out hmm. it made it it made it way better so so a, a really significant role in this case yeah okay for sure nice uh, uh uh charles did you want to speak to the same kind of question uh, in terms of working with john yeah i mean everything doug said it's yeah. john's really good at just making people feel comfortable in the studio and you can just kind of instantly kind of get in the right headspace and get to it yeah and i've worked with them a bunch over the years so we I extra felt comfortable, you know, and I knew that he would, he would do a beautiful job with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That's it. I mean, he just, he knows how to get a drum sound like nobody else, you know? Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It sounds, it sounds great. So I want to ask you, I want to talk about the sound of this record as a whole. Um, There are, uh, what are there, eight songs? I feel like this is a record uh, of this time and this place in our history in terms of its mood and in terms of what it conjures for me. Charles, if you were in an interview and put on the spot to characterize the feeling of this record, uh, this is a hypothetical, by the way. This might never happen to you. But let's just say you're in a position where someone asks you, like, can you kind of, you know, in an umbrella way, an umbrella concept way, kind of capture what the sound or feeling of this record is, what would you say to someone who may hypothetically ask you a question like that? Uh, I would say that it's it's a record like musically, like we were talking about, 
it's coming from a lot of different places. We all come from slightly different backgrounds, but backgrounds that help overlap. Yeah. So it's coming from that. But then when you zoom out and talk about it in a bigger context of like this moment that we're in historically and all of that. Yeah. All of that's a part of it too. So there's, there's some, some like a lot of things maybe that couldn't even maybe shouldn't fit together but they're just there anyway they're side by side and that's what it is because that's where we're at (laughs) i think the music is has some of that in it for sure i don't think we were like necessarily aiming at that or something but like it just inevitably comes into the music yeah no i appreciate that doug similar question do you feel like this is capturing something about the kind of universal vibe uh that we're all experiencing i don't know i mean my outlook on things is that everything is everything is a reflection of everything else. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And that's about as far as I can go towards defining any given creative endeavor. It's just part of what's happening. Yeah. No, and that's fair. I think I asked a question of this of an instrumental band in particular. You know, these these songwriters with their words. <laughs> they can kind of try to articulate a bunch of feelings and stuff and you're like okay I get it but with an instrumental band it's a bit trickier like I anyway it's hard it's impossible maybe to even answer of course it's of this time and place of no, course but, you know yeah but it is a good question there, and in some ways there are I think one specific example is um Doug's tune of the lit backyards mm-hmm. I, I didn't know this is another example you were talking about how you didn't kind of know something until you read an interview about your bandmate but like Doug, when I didn't realize that title was, I'll let you talk about it, but it was referencing a very specific moment in time. Like when everybody was I, hanging in the is, yards, right? That is, that is true. The, the lit backyards was a reference to, um, early in the pandemic. And that was one of the first songs that I wrote when I was sitting at home for a year and a half by myself writing music mm-hmm. and uh that was a reference to um you know eventually people were trying to you know personalize and convert their living spaces to um so they could socialize with yeah. and be safe at the same time yeah. so a lot of people have backyard situations in my neighborhood and after about three or four months of the pandemic, I could look out my back window of my house and see every backyard on like on both sides of our alley up and down the entire block. were all lit up at night (laughs) converted, converted into like sort of safe socializing areas. And um, previously that had not been the case. I I, want to say, I want to say that it's really heartening to hear that explanation of that song because I think what you're kind of getting at is the like the surreal optimism that looking at your window uh, maybe gives to you like oh mm-hmm. people are figuring out a way around this to still gather but what the hell like it's so weird and and it's both a uh, beautiful and bleak on some level I guess is where I I'm mean that's that's definitely definitely part of the feeling of that tune was like 
hopeful and bleak at the same time. Well, you know, you know why I asked or, or why I, I brought that up or why why I sort of described it as such is because for me, when I hear it, it sounds a bit like a demented version of that song when you're smiling. When you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. Oh yeah! <laughs> like the phrasing is very similar to me. Every time it comes oh, on, the like descending this melody, I can see it. I, it hilarious. totally sounds like when you're smiling, when you're smiling, and then but it sounds <laughs> fucked up. But then it takes so a curve. I, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So yeah. So to now hear you say it, yeah. And so then when you're, I picture you looking at your window like, what the fuck. Like, we're good, but we're not. Like, that's kind of like where I... Anyway, I'm taking it in a dark place. That's my nature. I'm sorry. But that's what I heard. It just... Anyway, I appreciate that explanation and that this is of a time and place. Um, I guess the other question then for both of you is, what is making this record, now that it's done and people are going to start to process it and you're thinking about it, what does it say to you about Black Duck? What it can be, what it is currently, these sorts of things. Charles, does this teach you anything about the band? Like this process of making this record, having it done, where you're going to go next? Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's kind of like, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where these next shows go because we have material that we use now that's more kind of composed material and improvised material. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see kind of the direction it takes. Yeah, I, who can predict the future exactly? Uh, Doug, do you have any take on what I'm asking? Like, does this? I mean, I think you know the only. I think the way forward for Black Duck is, or the thing I'm looking forward to is, we are going to try and do like some little tours and see where that takes us. And the thing that I think will be interesting to me is to see how we develop playing together over um, some nights in a row, which we haven't really done that right. much before. Right. I mm -hmm. think that will, I think that may push the music forward a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. is, um, play, playing some, playing some nights in a row. Speaking of which, are there plans for touring live shows as we're speaking? Well, we have a record release show coming up in Chicago on June 30th. Mm -hmm. And then we're doing a warm up gig before that. Or I shouldn't even put it that way, but it's <laughs> we're playing a a gig the night before that. It's not officially the record release show in Milwaukee, but um, I wouldn't characterize that as a warm up gig. But it's just uh, it's just seem it's just happening the night before the record release show in Chicago, and then and then we have a string of dates in September, which looks like it's going to be about six shows or so, yeah. and um, I think. We're waiting to do that because it's sometimes it can be a real um, drag to tour during the summer. So we just pushed it until the fall, and we're going to go out and play some shows out east. It can be a drag to tour in the summer? Why is that? Well, for me it can be, because of mostly because of the weather. Oh, it's, it's too hot? Yeah, I can't, I can't stand driving around. In a car in like a hundred degree weather, and then like, and then trying to pretend that I like standing around in a rock club <laughs> that's not that's not air conditioned, you know, or like whatever. Wait a second, Doug. Last time you were on the show, weren't you talking about moving to Arizona, the driest, hottest place in the world? Um, 
Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm just trying. I don't mean to catch you in a lie. This isn't a gotcha journalism moment. I just, uh, yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, there's a, well, I have a distinction which mostly has to do with um, humidity. Ah, right. So, so the dry heat doesn't bother you as much. Not until I try to live in it. Which yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a hypothetical at the time. That's not happening, right? You're not yeah, doing that. I don't think we're going to move to Arizona, no. But no. it's okay. still some, still something we in the back of our minds, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. This is, That conversation is still relatively fresh in my mind. So I apologize for uh, bringing it up. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's okay. Uh, okay. Well, this is uh, this this is great news. I'm 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 happy this band exists and all those sorts of things. Um, I want to uh, start to wrap up by asking you both a couple of housekeeping things, including future plans uh, beyond Black Duck, because we've talked a little bit about what might be next. Uh, also, directing people to where they can learn more about Black Duck. Um, I'm going to go to Charles first. Uh, Charles, do you have anything else you want to talk about or, or, or notify people about in terms of your work or where they can keep tabs on your comings and goings? No, I think all the Black Duck infos out there, you, the the Thrill Jackie website, you can pre-order the album, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. that's good. What about you personally? You got anything else coming up? My other projects? I've got another album with my trio with Jim Baker and John Tate that is in the works that hopefully will be coming out next year. Okay. Yeah, On, so that's what's is there next. Is like a label home for that at the moment? Astral Spirits. Oh, good. Great. Okay. So we can yeah. keep tabs on that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would I would just like to interject here and like put my two cents forward and everyone check out Charles's record Seven Bridges, which came out last year. Okay. Charles, is that is that is that Charles on his own or what is that? Yeah, the, actually, that's a, it's kind of a good it kind of is a good listen with the Black Duck album because it's John Hughes recorded and mixed produced that album as well huh. but it was yeah this is kind of my album as a leader kind of recording at a non not just jazz kind of way you know like there's a couple singers on it huh. there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people on it i think there's like 10 musicians and uh yeah so it's a different type of album for me well i appreciate your modesty and not bringing it up and we're lucky we have a great cheerleader and douglas mccombs here to uh, point <laughs> but people. it's a great it's a it's a it's a really great record. It's like uh, it should be paid attention to. Is it on uh, the Bandcamp or something? It's on my Bandcamp. Yeah, it's on. Okay. It's on my personal Bandcamp. Don't be alarmed. But that's on Astral Spirits too, right? Yeah, it's on Astral Spirits as well. They put out my last few oh. things. So there's a physical release as well. LP. Yeah. Yeah. LP well, don't only. be alarmed. Do, don't be alarmed, Charles. If you get an email notification that one Vishkana. <laughs> it's ordered your record. Okay. That's what's going to happen. As soon as we're done, I got a meeting to go to. But after that meeting, God damn it, I'm ordering that record right away because I believe <laughs> right, in everything man. Doug says. So thank you. Thank, thank you for you. plugging that, Doug. I appreciate it. Yeah, That's thanks, great. Doug. Yeah, no problem. Uh, oh, Doug, yeah. s- similar question for you, Doug. Uh, beyond uh, this, anything coming up that you want to share with us at this point? I mean, I have I have a a pretty busy summer in Chicago with like, some of the usual suspects I'm doing like solo gig and 11th dream day has a gig and broke back mm-hmm. broke back has a hilarious gig broke back has been working on some new music, but we also were offered this um, 
show opening for um, Cheap Trick. Oh wow! Which is which is going to be hilarious. <laughs> um, That's great. Being com- like being completely ignored for half an hour. That would be. <laughs> it will be very, very exciting. Are the Cheap Trick but, people fans of Brokeback? Well, they signed off on it. Uh, I think the us doing the show was maybe the idea of uh, the promoter, huh. who's like sort of a cheerleader of Brokeback. But also, uh, Rick Nielsen's son is drumming now in Cheap Trick. Oh, and he's you know he's younger. Oh, I he's see. He's like younger. He's younger than me. I think he's a, he's a aware and hip to stuff that's happening in Chicago. So oh, cool. He might have had something to do with that too. I don't know. But well, that's great. Yeah, you know, th- there's that. And what did I did I mention anything else? Oh, I mentioned Eleventh Dream Days playing a show. The Black Duck record release shows june 30th yeah and then at the end of july i am doing something that i'm really excited about which might be slightly under the radar but like my a really really close friend of mine um made a made an album over the pandemic that is finally being released and he lives in la and he's put together a band in L.A. to do a record release show and a band in Chicago to do a record release show. So I'm playing that. Oh. And I'm excited about that. His release is under the name uh, Coffin Prick. Coffin and it's, Prick. Hmm, that sounds familiar yeah, to me. This re- it's this really, really, really incredible, weird, awesome album that... is completely played by him alone sitting in his apartment during the pandemic. Um, hmm. which to me was like inspiring and also, I don't know, kind of made me a little queasy, but it's like, um, I don't know. I, I would like to plug his album if I can, because it's incredible. Would we know Coffin and, Prick under any other name? Well, he had a band, he had a band when he still lived in Chicago that was more of like a punk band called... Coffin Pricks. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why it maybe sounds familiar. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has um, retained that name because the Coffin Pricks punk band was sort of his baby. Mm-hmm. And he now made this album under the name Coffin Prick. And it's just, uh, just him. And it's this incredibly weird and deep awesome music played by one person sitting alone in his apartment. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know why I keep mentioning that aspect of it, but that's part of it to me is that like, it's really great. It's always magical when people are that, um, self-propelled, I guess the fact that he did everything himself. Yeah. 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 That's cool. No, that sounds great. That 11, three, and I'll keep an eye out for that. I'm not making any band camp promises yet on that one because it's not out yet, but I will, I'll keep an eye on that. I'll try to. Uh, I'll try and check that out for sure. And I hope other people do as well. You alluded to Eleventh Dream Day. Are you playing a festival with Super Chunk? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, there's a there's a thing um, in Chicago called what's it called? I don't squared. Yeah, some four squared or something like that. Yeah, Charles, do you know what it's called? Squared square roots. Square roots. That's yeah. it. It's this festival that happens every year in the Lincoln Square neighborhood, and it's sort of subsidized and subsidized or booked or partially promoted by the Old Town School of Folk Music. Oh, cool. I'm correct about that, right, Charles? 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it um, used to be there. It used to be their huge festival. Um, uh, it had a different name back in the day, but then they scaled it down to this, mm. which it's not scaled down. It's just, well, I guess, you know what I'm talking about, Doug, the old one? I mean, it was wasn't like, in a big, he used to be in a big park or something, right? And yeah, it used to be in that huge more, park. Now it's more like a street fair. Oh, okay. Like yeah, exactly. Of, it's like the street fair. couple stages. I see. But yeah, okay. there's, there's yeah. some interesting stuff on that. There's like X, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, for sure. Yep. yep. And uh, Super Chunk will be playing. That would be cool. And um, I wonder who their new. Then they're, do they have they announced who their new drummer is? Do we know? Yeah, they have. Uh, I've seen like Instagram posts. I don't know her name, but the, they have a they have a new drummer who's oh, been awesome. Either either filling in or replacing Worcester. Um, well, John I don't, I don't, John John I don't, John left the band, as I understand it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know her name. Oh, okay, and, cool. But it's a seems like it'll be cool. I don't oh, know. It'll be great. And then there's like uh, there's like there's an African band whose name escapes me that I'm really kind of interested in seeing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to see all this stuff. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who knows? There's different stages and mm-hmm. different playing times and stuff like that. But well, that's good. You got a full summer. It sounds like yeah. Eleventh Dream Day is just coming off of like. A sort of a career milestone where we played this year is the 40th anniversary of the beginning of 11th dream day and oh wow yeah it's also the 40th anniversary of this venue in chicago called the metro mm-hmm. and we played 11th dream day played one of their metros like 40th anniversary shows just like a month ago oh um, nice and we did this career retrospective Super long, deep set list, and it was like really a blast. It was great. Oh, nice! That's great. I love that band as well. So yeah. that's lovely to yeah. hear. That's great. Cool. Well, that's great. Thanks for those updates. Um, oh, sorry. Any tortoise stuff? I, every time I talk to someone from Tortoise, you're working on a record. You're still working on the record. A- any news on that front? Yep, we're still working on the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, cool. We have some. We have some tour dates coming up in November. Okay. And hopefully we'll be able to squeeze in another session on the record before those dates. Um, it would be nice to continue the momentum. Nice. Because it's been, it's been pretty – our recording sessions have been pretty productive, and we make some pretty big steps forward each time we get together. But it, it's hard to get our schedules together. So Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that, and uh, you know, we'll just be patient. Lord knows you'll probably be on the show in another six months to tell me more about it. So uh, uh, that'll be great. I appreciate these updates when when I can get them. So, well, I, I want to thank you both for this, uh, sharing all of this information and spending some time with me. Um, I want to go out on a song from this Black Duck record, and um, I'm going to ask uh, if we can figure out a way by consensus. Uh, to go out on such a song. Charles, I'm going to go to you to uh, make the choice. And if Doug uh, agrees, then we're good. If Doug disagrees, eh, we got a little problem. We got a little problem. We got to figure that out. I don't know how we're going to figure this out. Uh, Charles, if we... Oh, if we, man. <laughs> you can also... Def- okay, you, can, you can defer to Doug if you like, if it makes you uncomfortable. But no, go ahead. If, what, what would you like to go out on? Let's do Bill's tune since Bill's not here. Let's do Delivery. 
delivery. And and is there anything you want to tell us about that? The the I don't know the any, story behind this one. This is for Bill for the next time we're on. He'll talk about it. <laughs> Doug, you do you have any memories for yourself? I appreciate that. Thank you, Charles. Uh, Doug, do you have any insights about delivery or any memories of of laying it down? No, I do not. I think of it as a very bill kind of thing like uh, i mean it's it's got it's kind of like this uh kind of chugly riff that sometimes bill will pull out of his hat yeah like and and sort of rem every once in a while i get these these reminders that bill is like sort of a keith richards yeah chugle riff kind of <laughs> Lover, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, with maybe a little bit of like uh, Page, Jimmy Page thrown in, and uh, yeah, I guess that's that's what it makes me think of because like a lot of people think of him as like finger style guy or whatever, or like you know arpeggiated like finger pick guitar guy, and um, yeah, yeah. He's got he's he's got a lot of facets. He yeah. contains multitudes, Bill, and he's a lovely spirit and a lovely guy. So I, I appreciate yep. both of you uh, choosing a song uh, of his uh, to go out on. So let's do it. This is from the uh, self-titled and wonderful new album by uh, this great new band, Black Duck. This is Delivery. Uh, Charles Douglas, thank you so much for spending uh, this much time with me. I hope you enjoyed at least some aspect of this and uh, I wish you the best luck in the future and I hope we talk again soon thanks Vish thanks for having us
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation with uh, Douglas and Charles from uh, Black Duck. I hope you enjoyed uh, that, and you got to hear a little song there, too, a little a little sample of the music. I hope you enjoyed that, and we'll check out their full-length album. Uh, and otherwise, thank you for listening to this, the 786th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes it even sneaks back onto platforms that I had uh, taken it off of. I've just discovered this, and i got to deal with that company now. And Anyway, I digress. Just weird stuff happens sometimes. Anyway... If you can't find an episode of the show that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at the moment at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. And if you missed it uh, last time, I'm still looking for invites to that blue sky thing. I don't know if it's better or what. But uh, if you've got an extra invite, please send me a note and I'll try it out. That would be nice. Thank you. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain all the work that goes into this podcast. $6 American or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content. You get the episodes a little bit earlier than everybody else. And uh, also, if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt in either the maroon or yellow designs... There are still some left. Just message me on Patreon once you've made your donation, and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thank you very much. Speaking of thanks, thanks to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, all fine businesses, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, a delicious business. Uh, So good, uh, they run out of donuts, and people are getting mad at them. I read that on the Facebook. People are getting abusive because they run out of donuts because the donuts are so good. Come on, man. Don't get upset about a donut. Just chill out. Or call ahead. Do what I do. I, I call ahead and I say what I want. When I when I lived in Ontario, that's what I did. I'm whispering into a microphone, which amplifies the whispering. So it's just me talking quiet all of a sudden. But you can, I'm not really whispering. Anyway, Granddad's Donuts is great. Don't make trouble for them. Uh, and they all, all of those places I just mentioned provide in-kind support for the show. So I thank them profusely. I also thank my dear friend Jim Guthrie. Uh, one of the people I first fell in love with Tortoise with uh, he lends me music for this show and you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you so much for listening to this episode uh, covering the exploits of Black Duck I hope you will check out their album in its entirety it's out now on Thrill Jockey and I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast or follow it and tell all your friends about it spread the word 
about how much you like uh, creative control. That means a lot. Otherwise, I gotta go. My kids want me to play a video game with them, and I'm not good at it, but I'm gonna give it my all. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.